Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Graham Farrar, who is the, well, he's a lot of things, but he's a serial entrepreneur. He's one of the co-founders of Sonos. And, um, you know, he's largely regarded as, as one of the champions, one of the kings, the golden boy of the local cannabis industry. And uh, we're going to have a great conversation with him uh, today. Graham Farrar, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm awesome, Josh. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it so much. Um, I want to just sort of uh, dive right in and sort of talk to you about what's going on with uh, sort of the latest news with, with your company. Uh, you made some headlines recently talking about uh, this. Uh, well, I'll let you explain it, but as I understand it, sort of this, uh, you went public with, yep. with your company. So can you talk about what that means in terms yep. of the local cannabis operations that you have? Uh, maybe you can clarify sort of the, uh, the, 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 the uh, curiosity people have, you know, what is, what does this really mean? Grand sure. goes public. So talk to me a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. So what we actually, we announced that we're going to go public. It will happen in June. It takes a little while for these uh, transactions to finish. You got regulatory approvals, lots of government agencies and things like that uh, have to, have to, uh, approve everything. So kind of, you know, I've been lucky here in Santa Barbara to actually have been involved in two prior IPOs. I was one of the early guys at software.com for those who remember that which went public back in the dot-com uh, day. And then I was one of the, as you mentioned, the early guys at Sonos, which uh, went public about two years ago. Um, so, you know, really very exciting and, you know, exciting for Santa Barbara, cause for celebration for the company, cause for celebration for the employees. So we're going to do that again for the third time uh, with Glasshouse. We are going uh, public on the Canadian exchange because of the, you know, federal rules on cannabis and some weird um, irony, Canadian companies can be listed on U.S. exchanges, but U.S. companies have to be listed on Canadian exchanges. So we will be going public in, in Canada. That doesn't mean that anything about us is Canadian, no, no more than when Sonos, you know, Santa Barbara founded and a headquartered company went public on the New York Stock Exchange. It did not become a New York company. Uh, we're not becoming a Canadian company. Just our stock will be traded in Canada. We'll have no employees that are outside of California. There's no changes to the management. So, you know, lo love me or hate me, I'm, I'm still the guy, uh, you know, slap, uh, slap or kiss the cheek, whichever, uh, whichever fits. Um, the reason that we're doing it is to raise capital for growth. Um, we have a strategy of wanting to create uh, the biggest cannabis brands in California. And we think that what the rest of the country wants is brands from California. The, that appellation really matters. Um, you know, kind of like champagne comes from France and tequila comes from Mexico, cannabis comes from California, and we're on a strategy to execute on that. So going public allows us uh, two things. One is it raises capital, um, which we will then use to fund expansion on retail and build brands and additional uh, supply chain and cultivation. Uh, and the other is it gives you a public company currency so that you can acquire other companies using stock as well as cash. So from the idea of taking you know, good brands and plugging them that exist and plugging them into our platform, it gives us a whole bunch of tools that we don't have as a private company. Okay, so can you, can you sort of maybe talk a little bit about the business side of that? Because there's this perception of, oh my goodness, Graham Farrar's company went public. So he's done, he's sold out, he's off in Hawaii. He's, he's, <laughs> you know, he's not gonna be involved. Uh, what does this actually mean on the ground as a practical matter for all the various things that you're doing? Are you still uh, going to be a, a Santa Barbara person, a California guy with yeah. your hands involved? Yeah. Here? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I have some of the reporting is reported as an acquisition, which which it's not. Um, so it is no, you know, there's no selling out. There's no uh, don't get to go to Hawaii and, and quit work. And it actually just means more, more work. Um, uh, you know, really what it does is it allows us to expand and expansion typically means more time, not less. There's literally zero changes to the management of our operations. I remain the president, remain on the board of directors. We still control the board. We still have majority shareholder vote. Uh, no employment changes at all happen as part of this transaction. It is just Glasshouse, better funded, better set up for expansion. Um, so locally, it's not really going to mean much. Um, our cultivation operations don't change here. Um, our, you know, we have a couple new dispensary licenses that we can talk about, but not directly related to the transaction. So locally, it doesn't mean much. For Glasshouse, what it means is that you're going to see pharmacies in all other parts of California, and you're going to see expansion of manufacturing in places outside of Santa Barbara and expansions of cultivation outside of Santa Barbara. So really we're setting ourselves up to build brands that can be dominant, uh, cannabis brands that can be dominant in California, and then be poised that when the walls come down, which they look increasingly like they will sooner rather than later, we'll be able to take those, you know, our brands national, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's a, you, you probably don't have a, a, a favorite non-Mexican tequila and many people don't have a favorite non-Californian cannabis brand. So we get a chance to know what people want. Um, it, it's actually kind of funny. We have a free large focus group. It's called the illicit market. And it tells you what people want before they can have it. And what it tells us they want is California cannabis across the country, right? So if you go to New York and you find at this point illegal only stores there, um, so they're not following any of the rules, right? Like Florida has legal cannabis. It's closer to New York. Colorado has legal cannabis. It's been around, been you know, recreational longer than California, but those those illegal bodegas don't stock their shelves with Florida or Colorado. They stock themselves with California because that's what the consumer wants. So first you win California, biggest cannabis market in the world, uh, twice as big as the second largest, which is Colorado, uh, almost as big as the next three combined. So best single market to be in, but soon we think that market becomes the basis of a national uh, market or across the rest of the country. So that's what we're saying. You know, I'm blown away by the popularity of cannabis. I mean, I know that, I mean, I don't know why uh, from the time you're a child growing up, you know, you always know people you are like, we're, you know, they smoke, they smoke marijuana, they smoke pot, they smoke cannabis. It was a quiet thing. You know, it was not a big deal. Um, but obviously we have these perceptions about what it is, what it means, what it does. Um, but we've seen sort of a, almost a revolution in that, you know, it is illegal federally, but locally or you know uh, california and in these states uh we've seen this like billion dollar industry erupt uh can you talk about let's just zero in on the pharmacy on mission street okay so that was your first license here in santa barbara um what why is that place so popular what what is it about <laughs> about graham's cannabis that makes people wait for uh, a long time snaking lines outside of the building. Talk, can you talk to me about the popularity of it? Yeah, well, and, and you know, firstly, right, it's like the, the world's a better place with cannabis in it. And so the more access that people can get to it, the, the more they enjoy it, right? Like, I think it's, it's worth remembering that California's got a 26-year legal, medically legal his, you know, history with cannabis, right? So it has been here for a long time. Frankly, if you get down to it, California has a longer history with cannabis than it does with wine, right? So people have been using, you know, buying cannabis since the price was going to jail, 
So that that's how much they want and enjoy it in their lives. Yeah. Now that that price has gone down, hence the explosion and, you know, more and more people finding beneficial ways uh, to, inter to inter interact with it, right? Like, I think it's worth, I always sometimes say that people who think they don't like cannabis just don't know how they like it yet. Sometimes that means that they've had an edible that wasn't labeled and they ate too much. Sometimes that means that they've uh, smoked the wrong strain for them. Sometimes it means that they they don't like enjoy the psychoactive side, but a muscle bomb that relieves their arthritis is great or a bath bomb that, you know, this, these things do not get you high at all, right? Or maybe it's a tincture to help you sleep, right? There's so many different ways. And one of the things that regulated cannabis has done is, is gotten us out of the two buds in a Ziploc approach, right? That's not all cannabis is now at the pharmacy. Um, we've got 150 different brands and 10 different categories, edibles and beverages and topicals and tinctures and flour and pre-rolls and joints, et cetera, right? With 600 different SKUs, 600 different products in there, right? Like it's so far evolved and has so far to go still. Um, but if you think about it, there, there's, there's something that cannabis can do to benefit just about everybody in some way. Most of them or many of them have nothing to do with actually getting high, right? So that's the explosion. Um, then, you know, cannabis has been illegal for less than 1% of the time that we've had relationships with it as, as, a, as a species. The natural state of a plant is not to be illegal. Like that is, you know, I think we need to remind ourselves that we're identical with nature, not on top of it, but part of it. It's not something that needs to be fixed. Um, cannabis is a plant, despite, uh, you know, all the stigma and things that go along with it, it's roots and leaves and water and sunshine, just like any other plant. So it just happens to be one that works really well with our body. Our, our body has what's called an endocannabinoid system in it. It's a, it's for homeostasis, which is a fancy word for balance. And it, our body makes endogenous cannabinoids. Cannabis makes phytocannabinoids. It means cannabinoids from plants, THC, CBD, CBN, all those are examples. So it has a bunch of keys to locks in our body, many of which we know work. We don't necessarily know how it works. Again, federal bans on and schedule one drugs don't get to be researched. So you don't get to learn about them. Hopefully something that will end. But at the end of the day, there's lots of ways this plant uh, can help our bodies um, to good ends. And, you know, I sometimes remind people, just because it feels good doesn't mean it's not medicine. Right, so we should keep that in mind. Um, so the pharmacy, uh, back to your question, sorry for my long soliloquy there. But, <laughs> um, the pharmacy was the first ever uh, adult use dispensary in Santa Barbara as a, as a local boy who grew up here. It felt pretty good to get to uh, you know, put our names down in the history books for doing that. Um, we won, it was a highly competitive process. It took us four years to get there. Um, we were the first dispensary that opened, um, will be two years in August. So, you know, coming up on that uh, pretty soon. And it's really, it's been amazingly positive. There's been no friction, no static. The neighbor, you know, the business neighbors like us, there's more traffic. Taffy's is selling more pizza. Uh, Daily Grind is selling more coffees. Um, I mean, we literally have people, you know, thank us for being there because well, for some it's enjoyable. I'm, I'm in that camp. I enjoy cannabis. Sometimes I use it to help me sleep or a muscle rub, but I also just like smoking a joint because it's a feel good, healthier, you know, alternative to alcohol. But a lot of people really use it as medicine. I mean, I, I still remember a story. I went to a restaurant right after we'd opened the pharmacy and the lady behind the counter bought my lunch to thank me for opening the dispensary because she used to have to drive to Port Wainimi once a week to get her medicine. And now she didn't, right? So like, that's the kind of positivity that we get from it. Um, the market keeps growing, many new customers every week. Uh, COVID actually was a wind at our back, I guess, because it brought a lot of new consumers into the market. 
Um, I used to you know, call them. We, we've always had like the fun on Friday night, fun on Friday night consumer. But with COVID, uh, we picked up the tincture on Tuesday consumer, right? So this, this is the the kids came home for spring break a year ago and never left. Or you've been watching the the case count ticker and you can't sleep. So there's a whole new class of people that found out how cannabis can be beneficial. Uh, 420 that just happened. The kind of the unofficial, uh, or actually maybe it is, it's getting more official. Chuck Schumer, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, tweeted out on 420 that it was a national holiday now. So mm -hmm. that, that's always kind of been the cannabis thing. But mm -hmm. we had record sales across all four of our stores. Um, so, you know, again, it shows that the market just keeps growing. And uh, I think the pharmacy is our own microcosm of that. Yeah. So now you're expanding in Santa Barbara County. You have licenses for San Inez and Isla Vista. So can you talk to me about what, what that's going to look like? What is the timeline for that? And why did you target those markets? Sure. So um, so just for people's background, the pharmacy on Mission and De La Vina and the other dispensaries are the city of Santa Barbara. The new uh, locations are the county of Santa Barbara. Um, the county, you know, saw what happened to the city. They saw the tax revenue, the jobs. They shot, saw that there was no negative impacts and decided that, you know, they wanted to do the same thing. Uh, so they opened up a program. Again, it's merit-based. So all the applicants were scored and the top-ranked applicant uh, from each community plan area, they call it, or CPA, uh, was awarded the license. Only be one in each area. So they're taking a very, you know, methodical kind of go-slow approach, um, which I think is, is fine and smart. And uh, we went for two, two locations. Um, one is uh, pretty different from each other, you know, in terms of the demographic and how we approach them. But I think both great fits for the pharmacy brand. Uh, one was Isla Vista and the other was San Inez. Um, Isla Vista will be, uh, is on Pardal Street. It's this really awesome location, you know, set back from the street, lots of bikes, bike parking off, off uh, the sidewalk. It's, you know, it's centrally located. One of the things that we like, there's, you know, kind of a couple of things with, we like central locations, but not in your face. Again, recognizing that not everybody's, you know, the future's here, but it's not necessarily evenly distributed on cannabis. So no reason to poke people who, who aren't there yet, um, but still want it to be central for people to make it easy to access. One of the things I like about Santa Barbara um, is uh, that we didn't do what some places do where you stick the dispensaries over by like the strip clubs and the dump and stuff like that. It, it, it kind of perpetuates the stigma of like seediness, right? The pharmacy on the corner of Mission and De La Vina is a boutique, right? You could, we could trade places with Bryant and Sons Jewelers and you wouldn't have to change them, right? So it's like, it's a very stigma busting store. We get the average age of our consumers about 42, right? So we're not like, this is not stoner culture. This is Santa Barbara culture. Um, so again, back to it. So we like, you know, places that are central, but not in your face. We like standalone buildings so that we're not, uh, you know, impacting others. Um, we like, we didn't want to displace existing businesses. So we were able to achieve those things in all in both of our locations. So we're on Pardon, set back from the street, tons of bike parking, small footprint because like we think IV consumers are going to kind of know what they want. They're an educated uh, consumer. They'll do a lot of the ordering ahead of time on the phone. Uh, then we'll do delivery, or um, they'll just can walk up and pick up a prepackaged order. You know, kind of think about the way that most a lot of food works these days. Place your order and pick it up. We'll be able to do that from IV. Uh, and San Inez again, very different. This was actually. Uh, is on this in this old star drug location. So it literally went from pharmacy with a pH to pharmacy with an F, which is kind of cool. And it, it fits in with our plants over pills and farms over pharma vibe and the healing nature of uh, cannabis. Again, standalone business, the pharmacy had already closed down. The uh, owner and landlord of the 
the you know pharmacy PH is actually now on our advisory board of the pharmacy with an F. Um, it's right central downtown, but not on the main street. Um, you know, standalone buildings, so lots of lot off street parking, much bigger. Um, and so up there, I think it's going to be a lot more of an educational vibe, um, where we'll do a lot more consultative selling of people understanding and having first time interactions. We're super stoked about both locations. Um, again, totally local operations. Uh, my general manager, Leah, and I have been best friends since we were 14. She went to Santa Barbara High. Uh, you know, I've been Foothill Elementary, Santa Barbara High, uh, et cetera. So like both all these areas are places that we literally grew up as our home stomping grounds. And we're super excited to bring uh, the pharmacy to both of them. Mm -hmm. It, it feels like from a just sort of an observer's perspective that so much of what you do is is fairly seamless or, it, you know, it seems like you sort of have this golden touch, like Graham Farrar gets what he wants. Has there been pushback? I mean, I mean, are there are there people who are we, we know the cannabis industry can get a little bit, you know, on the business side, a little bit fierce, a little ferocious, very competitive. Uh, we're talking high stakes, lots of money to be made for for these sites. Uh um, have you felt any sort of pressure from other uh, companies, industries? Um, how, how are you dealing with any sort of, you know, litigation or threats or anger? I mean, or, or is everything you're doing just working out great right now? I mean, it, it, there, there's no golden touch, right? The golden touch is a lot of hard, not unrelenting work. I mean, you know, case in point here, here you and I are talking on a Sunday, right? Because that's the only time in the schedule that, that it fits. So there's there's nothing, uh, nothing easy. I mean, there's nothing easy about building things in general. But, you know, the adage of twice the cost and twice as long is, is four times the cost and four times as long in cannabis, right? Like cannabis is like trying to ride your bike with the brakes stuck on. You can you pedal hard enough and you keep going, but it's it's not uh, it's not easy by any sense. We haven't really seen um, pushback on the business side. Um, you know, there there was a lawsuit related to one of the, some of the other dispensaries, but you know, it was like we had nothing to do with it. So I've I've witnessed a little bit. Most of what we deal with um, is actually community, right? So if you think about Prop 64, it was a political landslide, right? Like 72 or 3%, I think in Santa Barbara, and this was 2018, right? So fast forward three years, it'd probably be 90%, right? But nevertheless, that means, again, you know, that the line is that the future's here, it's just not evenly distributed yet. So I think most Americans, most people know that the lies of old of cannabis, schedule one, no known medical benefit, high potential for abuse, like show me a stat on that, right? I mean, cannabis is looking more like an off-ramp for an addi for addiction than a gateway drug at this point, right? Epidiolex, FDA certified medication derived from cannabis, yet cannabis still sits in the no known medical benefit category. I mean, we're talking like, like, like fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, these are schedule two drugs. These are drugs that are supposedly less dangerous than cannabis at schedule one, right? So look at harm. Think about alcohol, tobacco, all these things, right? And these things are legal and cannabis is the worst of the worst of the worst. Obviously not true. People are learning that. Not everybody has learned it yet though, right? So going back to, let's say Prop 64 when it passed at 72%, that still means that if there's 10 people in the room, statistically speaking, three of them voted against it. Three of them thought that you shouldn't have the right to take a plant and put it in your body if you wanted to. So we deal with that. Not really anything at retail. That's just pure positivity. But on the cultivation side, there's you know a handful of pros, folks that uh, 
they're a very loud, small minority, but noisy uh, in terms of not liking cannabis. That doesn't mean that we don't care and that we don't do everything that we can to make them happy too, because we all live in a community and we don't want to do things that are, are negative for anybody. But at the end of the day, the pushback's not from the industry. It's from that loud minority of folks who think cannabis is bad and don't like basically anything associated with it. So we do quite a bit of work, odor mitigation, et cetera. Um, we have the strongest odor standards in the, in the state here in Santa Barbara County for cannabis. Spend lots of time, lots of money on making sure that our impact on those folks is as small as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, that when you talk about cannabis and you're like the wrong example to, for me to use this because your mind, like you're, like you're firing off a million cylinders, you're busy, you're always working, you. you know, you're not necessarily someone you can point to and say like, uh, you know, look at some of the side effects of cannabis, you know, but I did want to ask you like, like, you know, some people sort of say, you know, it's kind of dulls you, it sort of, you know, calms you, you know, maybe, you know, people who are super uh, high performing, uh, maybe they're not as performing, maybe they get apathetic. Um, you know, these are some of the things, you know, some of the concerns people raise uh, over, you know, maybe if you get, if you start pot really young, you know, maybe you lose your ambition to go to school, go to college, um, you never fulfill your, your potential. Um, you know, these are things that, that people talk about, um, you know, and it's, that's a different experience if you're like a young kid who's using a lot of cannabis versus, you know, a 42 year old who's got their career and they're, they're just doing it to do it, you know, to sort of chill out and relax or whatever for the reasons you identify. But you ever think about that? Like, you ever think about like, can there be an abuse of cannabis of, of certain personalities or certain types where, you know, maybe they, you know, I just put it bluntly, yeah. you know, do, do some people fry their brain if they overuse it and they never reach sort of their, their full potential? Or can you comment on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, so it's good. Um, good question. I think the answer is absolutely yes, right? You can abuse anything, right? Like there, there is nothing that taken to an extreme exercise overdone is not healthy, right? Like, I mean, you can die of drinking too much water. No. That said, I've got two young kids, so I think about it very often. I mean, I've got an 11 year old son and a 15 year old daughter. I think about cannabis. I think about alcohol. I think about, you know, sexual violence, violence, drunk driving, like all those things, right? So, you know, nothing, I, I would never encourage cannabis or alcohol, et cetera, for the young brain, right? Now, that is a very different thing than thinking that grown adults and independent members of society should not be able to decide what they put in their body, right? I mean, my, my view is that the government's job is to protect our freedom and pursuit of happiness. And if you're not free to put what you want in your body, then I don't know that you're free, right? Like, I, I firmly believe that you should hold adults accountable for their actions, not for what they put in their body. If they put things in their body that don't affect other people, they should, they should have that right. Now, kids, minors, you know, under our care, teaching, et cetera, developing brains, very different story. Part of the reason I like regulated cannabis is drug dealers don't check ID, right? Like th this moves this from the drug dealer's pocket to a licensed legal place. There was actually just an article that came out. They sent around kind of secret shoppers, not a single one, one of them, who was underage was able to get in dispensary. 
right? I mean, I'm sure you would not find that in liquor stores or bars, right? Like mm -hmm. they went 0% of the made and in, right? We check not only ID, but we actually scan IDs. And that means it has to be valid because we track not just age, but daily purchase limits. There's rules on how much cannabis you can purchase. So if you came in, Josh, and you hit your limit in the morning and tried to come back at five o'clock before we close, the computer would flag it. We wouldn't be able to sell anything to you. So not only do we know age, but we know the individual mm -hmm. and we can track it. So, you know, I like, again, I'm thinking about this as a, as a parent with kids. I like the fact that cannabis is not in the same pocket as the guy selling hard drugs, right? Yeah. If cannabis moves, the, you know, if, if cannabis was ever a gateway drug, I don't think it was, but if it ever was, quite likely the reason was our regulations and prohibitions put cannabis next to other drugs, right? So if you take it away from there, and if you put it in the dispensary, we don't sell other drugs at the dispensary. We check IDs. Drug dealers do sell other drugs and they don't check IDs, right? So I, I think there's huge upside. You shouldn't pretend that something that does exist doesn't exist. It leaves you in a lot poorer position to control it than acknowledging that it's there and regulating it and making it safe and testing it and checking IDs and making sure that it has consistent dosing on it. Like all these things that only happen in, in licensed legal cannabis operations. You ever get frustrated? Like, the, you know, I just asked you that question and, you know, you had to explain it. Like if you were a tech guy still, right. If you were still doing that world, you'd be sort of on a pedestal, you know, look at your amazing success. <laughs> now, every time you have to explain your success, you also have to sort of tamp down all of those. Concerns. Justify it. Yeah. Does that, I mean, does that ever weigh on you? Like, you're like, Oh my goodness, people are yeah. judging me and my business and my soul. Cause I, I'm in this industry or not really. It, it does. So Early on, I decided that it was part of what I was embarking on was to help educate people, right? So I, I always actually thought, and I've lived this before, this, it was a you know, business for me, which is if, if the doctors and lawyers and CEOs pretend that they don't use cannabis, and the only guy who's open about it is the guy who's panhandling in front of 7-Eleven, society's natural and logical response to that is to think that cannabis turns you into someone begging for change, right? So to me, you need to be, if you're doing things that you think you hide, you're, you need to hide, you probably should think about it why you should be doing them. So I always took the approach, just like you could open the door to my fridge and find a couple beers in there, you could open a drawer and find cannabis. I don't pretend like one's uh, an idol. I mean, we set up altars to alcohol, a bar is <laughs> an altar to alcohol. Yeah, then take cannabis, which A, doesn't kill people, B is healthier, it's a natural unrefined plant, and then we hide it in the back of our sock drawer. So, you know, I, I from the early on decided that I was not gonna perpetuate that stigma by living as if it was true. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't frustrate me at all to educate and share the knowledge I have. The only thing that I find frustrating and it was a surprise to me is, I always assumed that people who had a negative connotation of cannabis had it because they were given inaccurate information, right? Schedule one, no, no medical benefit, high potential for abuse, good people don't use it. I mean, even the stigmas like the lazy stoner stigma you touched on, recent, recent research and, you know, encourage people to go Google this. People who use cannabis exercise more, not less, right? So it's like at, at one after another, the stigma that associated with cannabis was propaganda, not data, right? So always go to the data. So the thing that does frustrate me is the people who are opposed to cannabis, who I assume just didn't have good information and presented with actual data, would change their mind, don't. That's the frustrating part. It's the people who don't, are not open 
to change in their opinion when they have new facts, right? To, to me, a mark of intelligence is not sticking to your guns, but changing your mind when you get new information, right? Like that's the whole point of life is to kind of learn things and then course correct based on that. So the only thing frustrating to me is the people who are intentionally have their head stuck in the hand and there's the sand only want to hear facts that reinforce their worldview and don't actually want to get smarter. They just want to be right at the expense of being correct. Yeah, I mean, there's a generation that looks at the, like the 1970s, like the portray portrayal of, of marijuana. You know, we've changed the I name. Mean, we don't call I, it marijuana anymore. We call it cannabis. Free for um, madness. <laughs> yeah, you know, Cheech and Chong movies. You know, it, there's a layer of racism too associated with the Not drug. Just over here. I mean, it's the whole thing. But, yeah. I mean, let, let's be specific. This was never a war on drugs. It was a war on people and specific people at that, right? Yeah. People with dark skin is who this was for. You can find the quotes and look them up and Harry Anslinger and Nixon's uh, head guy. Like, I mean, they, they literally say in, in, in these words, which we couldn't make being black or a hippie illegal. So we criminalized heroin yeah. and cannabis so we could disrupt those parts of society. Like it worked, the war on drugs doesn't work. The war on people works. <laughs> so look at the success and look at the, it, 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 for the intention. And we've got more people in jail in this country than any other country. The majority of them are non-violent drug offenses. So in the majority of them are people of color. So if you wanna see what this was really a war on, look no further than the results and what we keep doing and what we need to stop doing. So yeah. sorry to interrupt, but that's a, the whole well, thing. You, I mean, you went right there. Right. So, you know, that's the sort I was gonna get into. And, 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 you know, sadly, I think a lot of people still, that's what they're, they're not saying it, but that's what they're, Protests. Racial undertones and, and, and stigmas against uh, cannabis in particular, uh, but drugs in general are, are very thinly veiled. Yeah. Um, can we talk about you as the serial entrepreneur? Uh, you know, and you grew up in uh, Galita, Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. yep. local kid. Uh, you know, just your, your, your inspirational in terms of like just being able to start businesses and continue and evolve and sort of create things and a market for things that people want. Uh, can you talk about you and, you know, where that came from and, you know, how do you go from being yeah. software.com to Sonos and then you're doing something else. A lot of people, they never take the risk for a variety of reasons. And sometimes they'll take it, they'll fail and they give up, or sometimes they'll, you know, they make it and they're done. You, you just keep going, going and going. Can you talk like sort yeah. of like the business of Grand Farrar and what's in your head? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Santa Barbara's my hometown. I went to Foothill Elementary School and then I actually was lucky enough to go to Santa Barbara Middle School, which is an awesome private school uh, here in town. And then went back to Santa Barbara High, another uh, public school again. Um, and then I would have gone to UCSB probably if I didn't already live here. Uh, <laughs> but I thought, you know, I had I had to go somewhere else. So I ended up going to CU Boulder for a little bit. I studied uh, molecular biology and biochemistry. Um, through it all, I've always been, a you know, tech geek nerd, you know, whatever term you want to use, right? I, I like computers and technology a lot. Uh, was it, you know, early on as an intern at Wavefront Technology, if people remember that, some of the first 3D animation software in the world. Um, from that, uh, friends there, I actually came back from college looking for a summer job. And that's how I ended up at software.com back when it was 20 people or so. John McFarlane is a, uh, is a serious mentor of mine and, and good friend was the CEO of software.com. And, uh, and Sonos. I learned a lot from him. I worked at, at software.com for five years. We were lucky enough to go 
uh, public uh, right in the middle of the dot-com boom. Um, we made, in my, my, we're the digital post office is what software.com did for those who don't know. Basically we made the, ser the, the servers that held your email right about the time when people outside of universities realized that an email address is something that they wanted. So think about, you know, the first time people were dialing onto the internet with the uh, modems and things like that. We went public, I bought a sailboat. Uh, I took my girlfriend uh, at the time, who's now my wife and the mother of our, uh, our kids uh, on a boat. And we sailed for two, two years in New Zealand, uh, came back to get married. Um, and basically uh, I didn't want to pick out centerpieces and other wedding stuff. So I called John McFarlane up, who was the CEO of uh, software.com and asked him what he was up to. And he said he was just sitting down with five other guys to come up with a, a music idea. I'm a big music fan. I've been on the uh, board of directors of Santa Barbara Bowl for 13 years and ran the education outreach committee there, uh, helping, you know, fund performing arts stuff for kids uh, for 10 years. And uh, so he said, basically, come over, like, we've got an idea, we're working on something. That idea became Sonos. So I was really uh, fortunate to be, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the first three years of Sonos and 15 years later, it's still the best product in the category. Um, and then I started a, a company called iStoryTime, which made uh, apps for kids right when the iPhone started, uh, came out. And then, um, you know, through this, I'd always been a huge cannabis fan, right? So hobbyist stuff, uh, garages and things like that. Um, I just found it, you know, healthy and, and positive and I loved the idea of a plant. And I kind of look at plants even as technology a little bit. They're kind of like a computer that you have to figure out how the instruction code works and then you give it consistent inputs and they give you pretty consistent outputs. Um, and then, then got into cannabis um, uh, and always, always thought, you know, I, I'm a believer, more, uh, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice is Martin Luther King Jr. quote. So I always figured that the truth would come and that the idea that, you know, cannabis was a negative would go away and California would, would be a leader in that. So over time, as that started to happen, we saw Prop 64 coming, uh, you know, but kind of like 2015, I dove into um, the cannabis side of things. And, you know, your question is, is a good one, right? So I think that the, the thread, there's a couple of threads. One is I've got a lot of experience doing things that people have no experience doing, right? So if you think about software.com, that was the internet before anyone knew what the internet looked like or was going to become, right? Sonos was digital music in a world before people like mp3s had just started right like there was no spotify there was no apple music there was no any other music streaming platform zero of them existed nobody had one right like we had to convince people to digitize their cds to even be able to play music on their sonos so again something very early uh i story time so the apps for kids apps were brand new right so the thread there is just the ex experience and willingness to step into kind of an undefined world and build something um the other is you know I mean, agriculture is, 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 a big, is a big component that's technology, particularly well done large scale agriculture. Uh, I like to call it precision agriculture. But if you start to think of cannabis, A, it's new, right? So the experience doing things people have no experience doing, building an industry, the rules are being written, uh, you know, as, as in, in real time. But also think that the combination of my passion, you know, technology by background, cannabis by passion, you start to put those things together and it's really a perfect fit. The fact that I get to do it in my hometown backyard is like, you know, pinch me kind of, kind of awesome. Right. But if you think about cannabis in any, any business has one biological system, it's the people, in it, right? Like you always have the people. Cannabis happens to have two biological systems. You have the people and you have the plant. But if you think about it from a systems point of view, right. A, a cannabis plant is almost like a computer program. If you know what you want out of it, 
and you can figure out what inputs to give it and then do that consistently and then do that consistently and efficiently, you're going to get, uh, they're not random, right? You give a plant the same environment, the same genetics, you're going to get the same results. So you start thinking about it from that kind of, how do you, and if you, precise, consistent, efficient, that's basically what a computer is made for, right? So we take computers, people and plants and put them together in a way to get the highest quality consistently at the best cost, you know, which most efficiently so that we can deliver a product to a consumer that is a, 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 an amazing product at a fantastic cost. And that's, that's our thing, right? Is highest quality, lowest cost, best product, Number two, we have the number two brand in the state of California right now, so it's working. Um, and the consumer says they like it, and that's what we're going to keep doing. Great. And, and when you were growing up, like you're talking about Santa Barbara Middle School, like when you were a yeah. kid, were you one of these kids who was bouncing on on you know off the walls with ideas oh, yeah. constantly? <laughs> um, I guess I'm just trying to tap into the fact that you know I don't want to put you on a pedestal because because you know they're you and know I'm, I'm a like, journalist, but there's something about you that seems to really sort of glow you know you you you're really excited about what you do and you you you're committed and you're driven and you do it yeah you don't see that with everybody you know maybe everybody's just their own time and place they'll get there but um you know were you like that as a boy did you make a switch you know when you're 20 years old or where did where did that um, enthusiasm I mean, come from yeah I, I definitely bounced around a lot uh oftentimes the chagrin of my my teachers so you know, <laughs> that was that was kind of that uh i probably fit the stereotype a little bit of the uh you know could do well but didn't always do well in school um kind of thing if something captured my interest i was all over it and if it didn't it kind of got nothing um uh i've always you know, i guess i've I, there's a Steve Jobs quote I like, which is that the rules of life are made by people no smarter than you. So I've always, you know, kind of had that thinking that you didn't have to wait for somebody else to, 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 to do it or set it up. You could be, you know, you could go make a dent in the universe, so to speak. Um, so I, I kind of always had that uh, take of maybe not knowing what I shouldn't have been able to do and just going and trying to do it otherwise. And, you know, I think for, fairly gritty um, and persistent. And, uh, you know, what's, <laughs> I think it's Thomas Edison, you know, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. So uh, I think I, I probably have have that part as well. But I do, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't typically do, I mean, maybe I answered my own question there, right? I don't typically do things that I'm not excited about. If I'm not, if I'm not into it, it basically gets 0% of me. And if I am into it, then it gets 150% of me. And so the things that I spend my time doing, I think uh, are awesome. I mean, in cannabis, right? Like we have this amazing opportunity, right? We can make society better. We can create an industry. We can make an awesome home for our employees. We can build a business, which hopefully creates uh, value for our shareholders of which our employees, every single one of them has stock options. So they're in our employees are investors too. And, you know, we can do it in, in a way that's positive for the communities, right? Like the idea that you can build an industry business, make a spot for your employees, create value for your shareholders and make the community better. Like usually you get to pick two of those, maybe three, if you're really lucky, right? Like we're in this position where we can do them all. So in that case, you run, not walk. Yeah. Um, and what do you think of the, is the future of this industry? Do you, do you sort of see, uh, you know, the percentage of people who are the skeptics? Do you, you see them coming along? Um, is this going to be a fight continually for 10 years, 15 years? And when you sort of plan out how this industry is changing, what do you see? 
Yeah, I mean, I some people you're not going to change your your mind, right? And and the reality is that some some views evolve with society. You can, you know, this is not me saying it. You can go look at. I'm I'm a data guy, so. I try not to say things that are my opinion that I can't point to why I have that opinion. You can go look at the data and the, the approval ratings, the you know ideas that cannabis should be legal, they're through the roof. And they're particularly through the roof when you carve off the older age demographics, right? So I don't think it will be longer than a 10 or 15 year fight because when you look at the people who are 10 or 15 years younger than us, they're like, it's almost a de facto. They can't even believe that it's not legal, right? So the only people kind of shifting their opinions or on the edge are the older folks. And eventually we know what happens with older generations. They go away and they're replaced by younger generations. That's the world's supposed to work and that's the way it does. So it's more Steve Jobs there. Yeah, yeah right. I, I don't think we're going to keep fighting. I think that this thing is just getting started. Um, you know, it's like, you could argue if it's either batting practice, practice or the second inning, right? It's, it's not, you know, you see things moving really fast uh, broadly. In the last eight weeks, we had four states legalize recreational adult use cannabis, right? That's from 12 to 16. That's a 20, a 30% increase in, in, a, in two months, right? That means 48% of Americans now live in a rec 21 plus cannabis state, right? Like we're almost to the, the majority, something like 46 states now have some either medical or adult use cannabis, right? So we're way past the tipping point. Um, I mean, again, Chuck Schumer's beating out 420 as a national holiday. All he's talking about is how he wants to reform uh, the federal laws on cannabis. Kamala Harris as the lead sponsor of the Moore Act, which would completely deschedule cannabis, right? So like, it's just not, it's not illegal at all anymore. Um, and she's now obviously the vice president deciding vote in the Senate. Um, the House of Representatives passed the Safe Banking Act for the fourth time. Now it'll go to the Senate, hopefully get a vote. Uh, the House, the you know House of Representatives, House of Representatives uh, passed the Moore Act, but could never get a vote because um, uh, Mitch McConnell wouldn't even allow people to vote on it. Like, what does that tell you when someone won't even allow it to be voted on? Right now, Democratic-controlled Congress, Moore Act gets passed by the House. Vice President's the sponsor of it. It gets a vote. You know, does it pass the first time or not? I don't know. I mean, I, I I will be surprised if we don't have federal legalization of cannabis in the next 12 months. You know, could it be two years for sure, but I'll be surprised if it's not in the next 12. And that's, I mean, that's going to be a watershed moment, right? So many things happen. The tax burdens go away and U.S. listing on exchanges and all the pent up, uh, you know, investment capital and the sidelines of can, can access the space. I mean, everyone knows where this is going at this point, right? That's it's, it's beyond obvious and it's just gonna, you know, like I said, maybe we're in the first inning now, second inning maybe, could still be bad in practice, hard to know, but you know, we're probably, we're two years, two years before the end of prohibition and uh, the end of prohibition helped lift us out of the great depression as a country. I think the end of cannabis prohibition uh, could help us recover from the, uh, you know, the economic drab, drag that the pandemic has been. Uh, the number of jobs are amazing. Uh, the health benefits are amazing. The tax revenue is amazing. Not putting people in jail and spending money tearing families apart over a plant would be amazing. Uh, letting people, you know, who've had criminal convictions that hold them back in life, uh, get those off their records so that they can make our society a better place would be amazing, right? So it's like, there's just so much upside to come here. Um, 
it's uh, it's a lot of hard work. Every day is a Monday sometimes, and every week feels like a year. But uh, tremendously honored and lucky to be sitting here and having the opportunity to work on all of it. Yeah, just a couple more things, uh, Graham. Sure. Then we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, there's been some local controversy about companies not from California getting licenses to run uh, dispensaries in the city of Santa Barbara. You know, um, I just wonder if you had a thought, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Should people care if, if a company gets a license from the city of Santa Barbara or the county or wherever, and then um, there's a transfer or an acquisition, and then another company from outside of the area comes in and basically holds the license and manages it? Um, are, we, are we giving up our local licenses to out-of-town corporations? Uh, you know, what, what do you think? Is that an issue from your perspective? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a local Santa Barbara guy. So there's certain a, a portion of me that likes Santa Barbara for Santa Barbara. Um, and I think part of the reason Santa Barbara is nice is that it is a little bit uh, insular, I guess uh, might be the word, right? Like we kind of, we're a local community and we, and we like it that way. You know, th- so there's certainly that part. There's also the part, which is we do live in a free you know, world and economy and, uh, you know, whatever, I, you know, <laughs> we've got, a, I'm sure there's a, you know, a Motel 6, so there's Starbucks, right? There's, you know, there's all kinds of things. And, and one of the things that I oftentimes do with cannabis, and, you know, this, this includes, you know, even for my, you know, my life is I swap other things up and check it, right? Like if, um, if someone was, you know, if we open a cannabis farm, there's an immense amount of, you know, oversight and 13 different regulatory agencies and tons of public hearings and all this kind of stuff. Like if someone wanted to open a rhubarb farm, would anybody talk about it? No. Right. So what, what, what is the difference? Right. And, and it's the cannabis, a lot of times it's the cannabis stigma and all the things that we do on that. Right. So, you know, you might ask the same question and substitute something else. If uh, someone wanted to buy a liquor store, right. I mean, a liquor store is a licensed entity. That's a, a license and you've got to go through a background check to get it. So, should someone be able to buy it? Yes. Should someone from San Francisco be able to buy it? Probably yes. Should someone from Texas be able to buy it? Probably yes too. Assuming that they go through the process that says you're a good person to have this and you make sense and we pick you, right? So, um, you know, I, I think your your questions obviously about the uh, the upper state uh, dispensary and, you know, I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of it. Uh, there was a heavy vetting and they picked the people, right? And so in so much as the people changed, as long as the new people were appropriately vetted, then, you know, I think that's the evolution, right? We're not going to have areas of businesses that like only a Santa Barbara resident can own forever. At least I don't think we we should, but that said, a lot of filtering went through. And so anybody who comes in, you know, any change should probably be filtered similarly because we have a standard that we're trying to keep up with. So um, I've got nothing bad to say about uh, anybody involved in that. And I don't think you know, there's any impropriety or whatever that I'm, I'm aware of, but, you know, I think it, it's fair that new owners go through similar vetting as original owners. Yeah. Okay. Um, and last thing you mentioned, you know, you have two kids. Um, we're probably about the same age. I, I'm always like to talk to dads about, you know, how do you juggle what you do with, with being a dad? So I'm just wondering if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, what, what, what is your life like? Are you, uh, are you, um, how do you balance like being a dad and being high profile and being involved in this industry that's really controversial and, and, and growing and, and how do you, how do you do all that? Can you talk to me a little bit about 
how you, uh, how you I mean, that's, you know, I think the ultimate struggle of life is actually balance. Uh, if, if you want it, it's not that hard to do any one thing really well, right? Like if your only job was to be a parent, like, okay. If your only job was to go run a business also, okay. Right. If your only job is to be a soccer player and that's literally all you did, like you could probably be a pretty good one. The challenge is, you know, play on your, 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 uh, your soccer team, run a business and be a good parent, right? All right. at the same time. So I think that that's the ultimate question of life. Uh, um, my wife is awesome and does a really good job um, holding down the home front. This is a crazy, you know, hectic time for me. I could work 40 hours a day and 10 days a week and still uh, not be done. So you, you got to prioritize um, and you, you know, for me, I need to not require very much sleep and very much like, there's no real sitting around. I actually, I like meditating and, and it's, you know, getting 10 minutes to sit down is, is actually, it's amazingly hard right now. There's always something that needs to be done. There's not enough hours in the day. I, uh, I you know, I close the computer, not when I finished, but when like I need to go to bed or else I won't have enough hours of sleep to wake up and be uh, on my game the next day. Um, you try and simplify, or I try and simplify a lot, like, and get rid of the things that are not, uh, key and, and core to me right like so if, you know I, I don't go I don't spend very much time shopping for new clothes right like that's not the high priority thing so what is really important focus on that there's never enough time to do it all uh, at least for me right now so you know kids business growth our employees uh, making sure that we're doing the things that are beneficial for everybody and uh, all that is you know it's you can only you know everybody gets 24 hours a day and so you just want to spend them as uh, valuably and meaningfully as you can. And I think that's, that's what life's all about. All right. Well, thank you, Graham, for our, after that, I feel really honored that you took time here to uh, talk to me and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your, uh, your industry and the success of your companies and your personal story. So um, I really appreciate it. Good luck to you. And, uh, you know, we'll follow this as it, as it comes along. So thanks a lot for your time. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having, having me, Josh. I appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you.